Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the Big Cruise Podcast. Uh, my name is Baz and this episode was recorded on uh, Saturday the 5th of November. We're shaking things up a little bit this week. Uh, we're going to start off the show with a cruise review from a long-time listener and supporter, Paolo, who's going to be talking about his experience on board QM2 recently. Um, and then, of course, we'll welcome Chris back, who will bring in his maritime history and uh, cruise news. We've also got some great photos on the the landing page or the show notes page of this episode, thanks to uh, our unofficial photographer in Sydney, uh, Gary Stafford. He uh, took photos of the beautiful Grand Princess uh, coming into uh, Sydney Harbour for the first time. And he also sent in a great question, which uh, I've sent over to Chris, and we'll get Chris to answer um, a little later in the show. But uh, it's going to be a bumper show, so I think we should get things started. Enjoy! Be sure to share the podcast on your favourite social media channels. And it's great to welcome back uh, not only a long-time listener, but also a great supporter via via Buy Me A Coffee. Paolo, welcome back to the show, my friend. Oh, thanks, Baz. Thanks for having me. No, no, my absolute pleasure. Now, uh, we last spoke to you uh, when you did a Cunard a cruise, pretty much as the UK was kind of coming out of, of COVID. Uh, some time has passed and you've uh, just completed uh, two different cruises, both on, on Queen Mary 2. And uh, we thought we'd catch up with you and uh, see how those cruises went and uh, really dive a little bit deeper into some of the components of those. So let's start off with the the first one, which you did back in July, I think, from memory, which was the, the transatlantic cruise, uh, the iconic voyage on board Queen Mary 2 from New York through to Southampton. Um, what made you choose this cruise, and uh, how did you uh, get there? I to take it you flew, of course. Yeah, fantastic. So <clears throat> it was Art and Design Week was, was uh, the theme, uh, Baz. So if uh, anybody's been on Cunard will um, know that they quite often have themed cruises. I don't know, mm. maybe about a third of them or so are themed. Yeah. So I thought, oh, that's, that's something that I'd be super interested in. It was, um, it was New York back to Southampton. Uh, and I was already in the US for work, actually. So I did oh. an internal flight up to New York and then, and then caught it back. Yeah. 
nice way certainly a nice way uh, to cross the atlantic if you've got the time to do so and um i'm just curious did you know that it was uh, an art and design theme when you booked it at the time yeah, I did, but I didn't. I didn't realise how much it affected the voyage, actually. And I think I think this is quite interesting. So I, mm. it, it was my, it was my first time on Queen Mary two, first time doing a theme voyage, of course. And I, I you know, I thought, oh, it'll, it'll affect a couple of the lectures and maybe some of the speakers that are on board. It yep. really did affect a large amount of the programming. So there were workshops, there were speakers. You know, we talk a bit about that later. Um, yep. So. My thoughts would be, if you're going to do a theme voyage, make sure it's a theme that you're interested in. <laughs> because <laughs> if it's a theme that you're not interested in, you are, you know, you are sidelining yourself from a lot of programming every day, actually. So, but I, I got lucky. It was, it was brilliant. It was really well done. So I'm, I'm pleased to book it. But yes, it is obvious when you book. It does, you know, say in the cruise title. So. Yeah, no, they do some incredible um, themings, as you touched on. I think we've got literature, we've got gardening down here in Australia. We've also got culinary, but they've got fashion and all sorts of things that they bring on board. And as you say, they mm. they do do it incredibly uh, well. Um, now, I have done a transatlantic um, myself, but not on Queen Mary 2. And uh, I have to say, I was very pleasantly surprised with the seas. How was uh, the weather and the, 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 the seas to you at this time, particular time of year? Oh, weather was incredible. It was a proper, it was a proper beach holiday without the beach, Baz. It was uh, full sun, blue skies uh, almost every day, um, and the seas were pretty calm. Although th- the ship is is incredible at just gliding through it all. And I know um, Emma Cruises has, has has mentioned that she yep. was kind of really astounded by how sort of flat it feels when you're on board, and that yep. that is definitely the case. I mean, I I, I woke up one morning and. I could. I was. I was very far forward. It was cheaper. Um, mm. So you know, in theory, I should have been able to feel something. Um, I, I. I. really couldn't hear anything, and I got pretty good hearing, and I couldn't feel anything. And I. Th- I think I'm normally pretty good at that kind of thing. Mm. And uh, I was. I was adamant we'd stopped. I was. I would have. I would have put thousands of pounds on all the motors being stopped and looked yep. out the window and we're clipping along at 18 knots. You know, it's. It's. It's quite <laughs> bizarre, actually. It, yeah. it feels like you're on land. That's what she was built for, though, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, absolutely. And Stephen Payne, who was the naval architect who built her, was uh, on board. We'll chat a bit about that in in due course. There you go. Okay. Well, let's take it back to uh, embarkation. Um, I think last time we spoke, um, COVID measures were still in place. We'll get to COVID measures on this one. But um, how is embarking the ship in New York uh, back in July? How quickly did you get from Cork to... uh, (laughs) <laughs> what a mess <laughs> so, really? oh my goodness yeah absolutely so um so brooklyn brooklyn cruise terminal mm-hmm. uh i turned up at my allocated time which was half past one uh nice and nice and punctual which i think is is quite late actually but you know i obviously I'd, I'd just booked a britannia grid i didn't have any status so fine um had to queue 25 minutes to even get into the building um oh, wow. after 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 dropping my bag off um, which which was a bit of a surreal experience, and I I assume this is kind of normal for cruisers, but it's not so much like a bag check as literally a bag drop. So you just put your bag on the curbside, and somebody yeah. in a high vis jacket kind of picks it up and walks off with it. And I thought, yeah. well, you know, if I never see that again, I've got absolutely no proof I've given it to them. <laughs> so, but okay, whatever. Uh, as it, as it happened, it um, beat me to my cabin, but that's that's not necessarily a compliment. So uh, so it was twenty. 25 minutes to get into the terminal um yeah. and then about an hour and a half to get through security and oh, wow. uh, there were there were seven scanners four were working it was really busy and we were on our feet the entire time snaking our way very slowly through tensor barriers so two hours um from turning up to get on board 
um, I am reliably informed by a lot of people because it really was the talk of the cruise, uh, the talk of the crossing for days. That that is highly <laughs> unusual, um, which I think it would have to be, otherwise people wouldn't yeah. do it. But um, yeah, and and I I I was thinking actually uh, today, I I would struggle to remember if I've ever queued on my feet for that long any other time yeah. in my life actually like it was it was quite it was quite something um so yes check-in experience uh brooklyn not the best uh much better on the uh, hamburg one that we'll chat about later that was much much quicker so it was okay. one all for that and actually the captain um did apologize uh when we got on board as well so i think i think it was rare but not the best yeah. Okay, I wonder if they arrived late or something earlier that day, and it just. I, th- I think it was just staffing. They just couldn't get people through security fast enough, really. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, seems to be a lot of that in travel at the moment. The the world is mm. short staffed when it comes to travel. <laughs> now, um, so you you back. Uh, sorry, this was your first time on QM two, actually, wasn't it? So as you you walk into a uh, beautiful uh, areas there, what was the feeling as you walk on board? Yeah, great. I mean, we we kind of spoilt because we we have so we have so much access to pictures and videos Images, and cruise yep. reviews and stuff now. So it looked as expected, but you yeah. know, it is it is uh, very nice. I know there's sort of talk or concern as to whether or not it's 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 maintained as well as it used to be. Uh, I thought it was great, just just fine. Yep. There was there was a lot of active maintenance going on throughout the whole voyage as well. Uh, yep. So it was always getting kind of painted and fixed up in bits and pieces. So uh, yeah, very, very nice indeed. And uh, went straight to my cabin, which was, you know, ready, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And then did the uh, sail away party as we left New York. Awesome. And is the atmosphere on a transatlantic cruise tangibly different to a regular Cunard cruise? Yeah, so a few people have said that. I, I, I'm still struggling to have a reference point because when I did Queen Elizabeth, that was a non-stop week around the British Isles because that was sort of peak, yeah. peak COVID. So in many respects, it was quite sort of similar in that it didn't have stops. Um, it was definitely a friendly atmosphere. People were up for talking. Everybody said hi in the lifts and, and on the stairwells. Mm-hmm. Um, if you uh, chose to share tables at afternoon tea or that kind of thing, you know, people were people were quite sociable. So yeah, I think I think it is uh, quite a nice and relaxed atmosphere actually, and it was uh, it was most most enjoyable. Okay, and uh, not that you need to know exactly how many were on the ship, but uh, did it feel? I mean, she's a big ship anyway, but did it feel like you could get space in a particular lounge as you were wandering around, or you could get? Oh a yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. Um, you 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 certainly never felt crowded i don't think they were full like um because i think they they'd w- withheld some some capacity for sort of quarantine and that kind of thing if they needed to i believe mm-hmm. um but it, it certainly it certainly felt very very spacious and as a, as a few people have said you know it's a very uh, um it's a it, it's a very interestingly laid out ship and there's, there's there's always somewhere that you can find that's a little bit quieter and you've uh, You've you've been lucky enough to have a few uh, QM two reviewers, so we want. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I I didn't want to sort of bore people with all the ins and outs of it again, but I know uh, <laughs> Keith Keith's just been on it on an episode yeah. one hundred and fourteen, and all the way back at the start, actually, Alex at episode eleven. So if people want to know more about yeah. the ship, I won't I won't bore them with it today. But no, it was <laughs> it was uh, it was uh, very very nice. Okay, well, let's jump into the the theme of this particular voyage. You mentioned it's art and design. Um, what kind of activities beyond just a lecture were kind of happening around the ship <clears throat> yeah great so um 
obviously Cunard are getting ready for Queen Anne, uh, which mm-hmm. is the new ship that goes into service uh, in 2024. Um, and they actually had um, Queen Anne's uh, art and design team on board. So they had yeah. a selection of the artists that are actually producing work for all the public spaces and, yeah. and I guess crew spaces on uh, Queen Anne. Um, they had um, the art curation team who's kind of commercially helping with that and they had some Cunard people who are responsible for doing that inside the company and inside the brand so it was it was super interesting um so they had some sculptors I had some painters um I'm quite interested in photography and the photographer um Michael Mann who's who's uh, German he's doing a lot of uh he's doing hundreds of pieces of uh, photography for um for all of the state rooms um yeah. so he so that so the, so the typical thing for kind of all of the artists would be they would give one or two talks in illuminations or the Royal Court Theatre about their work and their history and and the brief that they'd got for Cunard. So in the case of Michael Mann, he was showing some early proofs of photography and talking about, you know, why he'd, you know, why he picked the compositions that he had and the various different things that he, that he photographed. And then they would also do workshops. So again, I, I did the photography workshop and it was um, probably about 20 people just in the smaller rooms in connections oh, yeah. downstairs. Um, and he gave us all uh, a bag of uh, camera filters. So you take your phone camera and oh, there yeah. was um, like a prism and something that changed the perspective and a feather and all sorts of bits and pieces. And then he would walk us around the ship and sort of suggest angles for creative shots and say you know try try putting this piece of perspex over the lens at this angle and and, uh, do this and it was really interesting actually so that was that was super fun um uh, some of the, some of the sculptors were in uh, connections, uh, and mm-hmm. they were sorry, not uh, connections in the um, in the Corinthia Lounge. So they would just be sort of sculpting through the day, and every few hours, they'd put a radio mic on and talk about what um, what and how they were doing it. Um, and then there was also kind of an art reveal um, in the Corinthia Lounge as well, where you could mingle with the artists and chat to them and, and see and see some of the work. So that was so that was sort of really interesting from the artist side. Yeah, definitely. and then the other side was. Um, the uh, the uh, Cunard's creative director um, Adam Tiani uh, he he was kind of uh, walking through the design inspiration for Queen Anne and how that had been built and renders of, of uh, the public spaces and so on and he also gave a lecture about um, his previous work in hospitality and hotel design so that was super interesting um, and uh, Giancarlo. Um, uh, in uh, Impelia, that's right. I think okay. I got that right. He is, I think, the only artist who has um, artwork or will have artwork on all four queens. So he was talking ah. about his his career in art and kind of what what he'd done with Cunard um, over the years. So yeah, so thoroughly interesting and um, and you know, as I said before, lots and lots of content actually. Yeah. And um, did you get any insights into to the the next? Queen, uh, any uh, little secrets that they haven't maybe revealed to the the general public, but they teased on on board this particular voyage. Yeah, so they they did show a couple of renders that I don't think have kind of made it into into the public realm yet. But I mean, to be honest, most of it is is on is on the Cunard website and on uh, and on videos now. But they but they did do a Q and A. Uh, so in the Royal Court Theatre, um, they had the um, the design director um and and the and and the creative team so mm-hmm. people got to grill them on questions of varying quality uh, around can i hang my handbag up and are there usb chargers and all of this kind of stuff so that was all quite um quite interesting but yeah i think you know they they tried to explain the balance that they'd taken with kind of pushing 
pushing the creative directory forward into something that's a bit more modern, but still trying to keep still still trying to keep the Cunard heritage and the heritage of of the of the existing fleet. So it was it was uh, it was very interesting. Awesome, and um, well, I, I assume there was still some gen, general entertainment on board as well. Were there other things going on? Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah, so Royal Court Theatre Company and pretty much all of the usual things that you'd expect. So there were uh, there were there were, there were singers in multiple venues in the evenings, uh, pianist, um, uh, jazz band, folk band, the orchestra in the Queen's Room. So all of that stuff was you know was all good. Um, mm. The theatre productions are. Uh, are quite classic, let's say. I mean, yeah. the actual um, the uh, Royal Court Theatre Company are brilliant. They're, you know, they're, they're super engaged. They're really energetic. They're clearly having the time of their lives. The, the the staging is pretty safe, and the fact that it is on a slightly older ship does kind of show. So there was yeah. there was there was one point where uh, everybody went up on a on a in, a in a song and dance routine on a lift in the middle of the stage, and they all came back down on a step ladder. You know, so it's. <laughs> There are a few issues with that, but um, but no, it was uh, it was thoroughly enjoyable. So yeah, so two two shows a night every night, um, and then sort of multiple venues around the ship with uh, live music. Awesome. And uh, did you have a little favourite spot on board that uh, you called your own quite regularly? Yeah, I did actually. So uh, deck three, right right down at the bottom, really. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a walkway um, from the very f- uh, front of the ship. Uh, past uh, illuminations, the planetarium to sort of get get to the front mm-hmm. door of that. So it's just a walkway with um, with uh, portals and seats down one side. Oh and yeah, you, I know what you mean. Yeah, it, yeah, and if you get if you get the side that's in the sun, that's just a really nice place to sit with a book and and watch yeah. the world go by. And and uh, I found I could always get a seat there, and it's pretty it's pretty quiet. So yeah, that's that's probably one of my favourite spots. Certainly not uh, certainly not the the most glamorous or, or uh, glitzy on the ship, but. Uh, a very nice corner. <laughs> I mentioned in books there, Chris would uh, kill me if I didn't ask. Uh, was his book available in the, the store on board? Oh yes, it certainly was. I I did a little bit of facing to make it the featured uh, the featured product for him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good work, like your work. <laughs> Great. Um, and how about uh, COVID restrictions? If we compare it to your cruise as around the UK earlier compared to the transatlantic, had things obviously evolved and relaxed maybe a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Pretty much back to normal, which was so nice to see. So when I did the British Isles, so on Queen Elizabeth, that was literally the very first cruise that Cunard mm-hmm. had done um post uh, pandemic so of course they were it was it was um extremely kind of covid conscious uh the transatlantic um was more relaxed on masks the buffet was back so on queen elizabeth you, you everything was brought to your table uh the buffet was back but it but it had to be served to you Mm. um through the glass which is a bit of a hassle to be honest but by the time i'd done the hamburg in uh september uh you could self-serve from the buffet there were no restrictions on where you sat etc so yeah all good great news uh you mentioned hamburg there let's jump on to your your next cruise now because as you mentioned you uh, took a little impromptu uh short cruise hamburg to southampton which i think from memory is about a two or three nighter maybe um how did that come about what uh, what inspired you to jump on that one yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's actually, it's two nights, kind of one full day. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the transatlantic by myself. Um, and my and I think my mother was angling for an invite that she never got, <laughs> uh, which, <laughs> which I felt quite bad about. So I thought uh, I will I will make it up to her. Uh, and uh, mum and I would go from Hamburg to Southampton. 
Yep. So yeah, so so we did that uh, two or three weekends ago, um, and it, of course, much much shorter, um, and her first time on Queen Mary two as well. Oh, so through what was your take on uh, Queen Mary two through her eyes? Yeah, so mum mum really loved it. had had a great time. Um, I was I was nervous because it was such a short uh, voyage yeah. um, that we kind of packed as much value in as possible because. Again, we'd booked a Britannia um, great stateroom, so our our boarding time was 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 quite late. It was quarter to four, which, okay. given you've only got one full day at sea, yeah, that h- how you board on on the first afternoon affects quite a bit because if yeah. if you're not on the ship until later, you've missed lunch, you've missed afternoon tea, so you've yep. only kind of got w- one of each more in your crossing. And if you get on mm-hmm. earlier and you have two lunches and two afternoon teas, you kind of maximise things. Yep. So um, we uh, we were a little bit naughty and we did turn up a bit early, s- safe in the noise that if they wouldn't let us on, we'd just kind of sit down and wait. And, and Hamburg Cruise Terminal is is actually really good for that. Uh, it's got it's got good seating, it's got a cafe, toilets and stuff, so okay. it's totally fine. Um, much better facilities than Brooklyn for sure, which is <laughs> which is weird because obviously it's it's smaller. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so um, so we did manage to get on a little bit earlier. Um, and we did make afternoon tea, which was uh, which was great, and 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 the room was ready and stuff. So that was um, that was very good. So it's a sail out of Southampton that night, and then one full day at sea, and then you you normally sorry sail out of Hamburg. Hamburg you yeah. no, uh, normally get to Southampton um, super early in the morning. So I think you, you pick up the pilot at half past four or something, and you're all you're all docked by half past five six o'clock. Uh, there, there was a delay in picking up the pilot, so we were, we were actually running two hours behind. So we oh. we got up uh, thinking that we were all done and we we're going to get uh, we we're going to get rushed off, uh, open the curtains, and we're still moving <laughs> along, and and we hadn't docked. So that was actually quite a nice surprise because we didn't have any anywhere to be. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that was a more leisurely start to uh, the final day, and we could have a full breakfast and and, and a and a coffee before we left. Um. So that was good. But you know, I would say if it's if it's if it's your first time on the ship and you're you know doing one of these much much shorter crossings as a way of experiencing everything i i think there's a risk there because it yeah. it it really all depends how quickly you can get on on that first day it makes quite a big difference to the amount of you know lunches dinners activities you're actually going to be able to do yeah no actually i quite often get asked um would for a first cruise, would people should people do a, a short cruise or do a, a you know maybe a week? Um, and I actually say I would prefer you not to do a two night cruise for your very very first cruise because quite often, depending on the cruise line, quite often the passenger mix changes quite differently on a, a two night cruise. Not probably so on Cunard because there's generally multiple embarkation points on a, a, a longer itinerary within that. Um, but yeah, interesting that, that you also pick up on that as well. Yeah, most most people were had had. At a minimum, done a four day, so they'd started in Southampton, gone to Hamburg and back, um, mm. or they'd started in in Hamburg and were going all the way through to New York. I don't yep. think we we met anybody else who was who was just doing the two day, but you can buy it. So yeah, that's yeah. Um, that is that is what we did. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, did your mum have anywhere on board that she particularly uh, enjoyed? Well, Mum, Mum was a huge fan of the Commodore Club when we did it uh, on Queen Elizabeth, so she yep. was she was keen to try that on Queen Mary too, and very much uh, enjoyed it. So that was uh, that was t- tended to be a favourite uh, before or after the evening uh, entertainment 
as well. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we didn't. And I forgot actually when we're chatting about the transatlantic. So we didn't. Um, or we didn't get on to Dr. Stephen Payne, who, of course, was oh, no, in oh. the Art and Design Weeks. Apologies for, for not mentioning that. And he and for, for those who follow this this kind of thing, he was the naval architect who built it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, that was that was fantastic that he was on the crossing, and he was and he was also on the Hamburg crossing as well. So he's obviously oh, had really? a, so, yeah, he's obviously had a pretty pretty busy month with um, Cunard. So needless to say, his talks on both crossings were were very very busy in the Royal Court Theatre. Yeah. They were pretty much full, um, and he did a few. So he did. Um, uh, he, he he did a talk about Titanic. Um, he did uh, a talk about uh, QE two, and then of course how the Queen Mary two came to be, um, and what distinguishes it as an as an as an as an ocean liner from a cruise ship, and and yeah. various things like that. And he's he's. Uh, you can you can you can tell it's not the first time he's given that talk. <laughs> um, I've I've obviously heard it twice now. It is it is fifty eight minutes to the second. <laughs> it's delivered really well each time. So yes, and mum mum thoroughly enjoyed that. And it was a it was a surprise actually that he was on board for the shorter crossing. I, I didn't expect. Yeah, it. awesome. Um, did um did your mum say if she had a preference over Queen Elizabeth versus QM two? Well, um, mum, so during COVID, Queen Elizabeth was serving afternoon tea in the Britannia restaurant and not in the Queen's room, um, right. which I think I think was just a COVID thing. And she yeah. actually preferred that because there was a, uh, a string quartet or whatever in the Britannia restaurant, and it was all a bit more sort of relaxed and uh, sort of muted, whereas yeah. the Queen's room on Queen Mary 2, there's a lot going on. It's it's big band, it's people dancing on the dance floor. It's quite lively. I mean, it's basically sort of a nightclub at half past three in the afternoon. <laughs> and um, so, so, so I think she actually preferred... Queen Elizabeth for that, and, and and what's interesting is even even in kind of the classic spaces like the Commodore Club, which obviously was 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 first on Queen Mary too, or in mm. the current Queens anyway. Um, it's it's actually it's actually I think bigger and well apportioned on Queen Elizabeth. So, you know they've, they've probably yeah. seen it seen it's gone down well <laughs> on uh, <laughs> Queen Mary too, and then when they've come to design it, they've, they've they've just allocated a bit more space and and, and thought about the layout a bit. So I think I think on balance she's 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 more than happy with Queen Elizabeth, but for me, I think Queen Mary Two is the is the slightly more special. Yeah, great news, Paolo. So um, overall, if um, you had any tips or advice for somebody choosing a transatlantic um, in future, is there any words of wisdom you would want to share? Yeah, so just a couple of things to think about. Um, so going from uh, New York back to Southampton for five days, you you make up the time difference, uh, mm-hmm. and that's done by taking an hour out from lunchtime to one o'clock. Uh, so you still mm-hmm. get to sleep through the night, but you do lose a, a, an hour through the day. By contrast, I understand if you go in the other way, you obviously keep the hour in the middle of the day, um, yep. and you get an extra hour at night. So on balance, that sounds more at my street. <laughs> um, so that's so that's definitely one to think about. Um, and then, as as I mentioned before, these these theme crossings are brilliant if you like the theme. And I, I would exercise caution if you're ambivalent on 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 the theme. Just be aware it's going to affect quite a lot of the of the onboard program. Yeah. And of course, we've done the fast fire round with you previously. But um, if you had to choose a transatlantic cruise or a regular Cunard cruise, which one would you choose in the future? Oh, I'll definitely do the transatlantic again. It's great. Yeah, and of course, we always finish with it's my shout at the bar. What are you drinking? Oh, well, thank thank you very much for asking, Baz. So uh, I am I am not much of a drinker. So you can uh, you can you can you can buy me a coffee. 
that oh, would go down a treat. <laughs> yeah, there we are. And, and actually, if uh, if uh, other listeners wanted to buy you a coffee and uh, yes, support your great work, how how would they go about doing that, Baz? Uh, simply jump <laughs> on the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com, and uh, click on that little coffee cup in the bottom right-hand corner. Or, of course, you can go to buy me a coffee and search for The Big Cruise Podcast. And, yeah, $4. So it gets very nicely donated and uh, helps to keep us on air. Thanks for the little well, plug, there we go. <laughs> awesome, Paolo. Great to uh, speak once again, mate. Uh, have you got another cruise up your sleeve? Are you heading off anywhere in the not-too-distant future? Not at the moment. I think people are going to have a break from me for now. But, um, <laughs> yeah, got, got a few work trips coming up. So I'm not I'm not quite sure what's next. Let's let's see. Let's see. Okay. Well, if you do choose to cruise, then uh, get back in touch, and we'll uh, love to weave you back into a future episode. Uh, thanks once again, mate. Yeah, thanks a lot, Buzz. And of course, it's always great to welcome back our good friend and maritime historian, Chris Frame. Welcome back. Thanks so much. Great to be back. Very excited about this coming week. Yes, of course. You're uh, heading back to sea on a ship that you love and doing what you love, which is, of course, uh, your maritime history lectures. Uh, where are you getting on and where are you going to? So it's Queen Elizabeth back in Australia for the first time uh, in 31 months, Baz. And uh, I'll be boarding in Fremantle, which is quite nice because um, that was the port that I disembarked Queen Mary to on at the beginning of the cruise shutdown. Of course, um, some listeners might remember because we'd only just started the podcast back then that QM2 pulled into Fremantle and then they they basically cancelled the world cruise and everybody had to leave the ship. Um, so to see Queen Elizabeth coming back in, um, you know, it's the first uh, internationally uh, ship with an international origin that's come straight into Fremantle mm-hmm. uh, since the pandemic. So it's, it sailed up obviously down from Singapore via um, some ports in Indonesia. So it's uh, it's on, on its way in as we speak. And um, to, to be able to see that ship come in and um, have, a, have a Cunard ship back in Australian waters is, an, is a very nice sort of I guess bookend on the um, that whole experience yeah. over the last over the last few years. Fabulous, and of course, I'm sure you'll be heading down to the port, and we'll no doubt have some videos of uh, your time on board popping up on, on socials in the, the coming weeks. So we look forward to seeing those as well. Absolutely, I will um, also be doing a special edition podcast for our, our listeners <laughs> from uh, from Queen Elizabeth, so uh, they can look forward to that next week, Bows. Sounds great. Sounds great. Um, now, just to loop back in, Chris, uh, Gary, our good friend and unofficial photographer in uh, Sydney, <laughs> did send in some, uh, some great photos of Grand Princess arriving into uh, to Sydney uh, earlier in the week. And he did uh, send in a question around um, inaugural visits on ships, and uh, I did send it over to you, and mm. uh, I thought we'd share it. Um, Gary said, I'm thinking this is the first visit to this part of the world for uh, this particular ship, which gets me thinking about the commemorative plaques that I've seen on a number of ships, mainly within the Princess fleet which celebrate the ship's inaugural visit to port. Some plaques are very stylish and some are very plain. Uh, I'm wondering if uh, you or Chris can enlighten me on the history of uh, these plaques. Yeah, so you would have seen them on many mm. of the ships you've been on too, but some of them you can't seem to find them um, yeah. on the ships. And it's interesting because some cruise lines, and uh, you know, Cunard does come to mind, they, they display them uh, very prominently in public areas. And mm-hmm. I remember, of course, um, back on QE2 after the, after the big refit in 1994, they they actually put the commemorative plaques in the Golden Lion Pub, and they they sort of um, surrounded the sort of ceiling uh, crown molding of the of the of the roof. They had the plaques yeah. all around there, and they got there's so many of them because the ship had been in service for such a long time. Yeah. Um, but when I was just recently on board 
um, and another cruise ship from from a different brand. Um, those plaques are actually in the crew areas, and they're yep. they're kept in with the um, where the uh, uh, officers and crew uh, live um, as sort of a, a memory of the places that they've been. Um, and interestingly enough, Baz, there's also plaques for the different ships too. So each um, each ship has. Oh, not not every single ship, but ships can have a plaque made for themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a there's actually a, a stylized plaque for, say, for example, Coral Princess or for um, Queen Elizabeth or Queen Mary II, which they can then present to ports when they arrive as well. Yeah, yep. Now, if you look really far back to sort of the start of steamship uh, services, um, when they would arrive in ports for the first time, bringing with them um, you know, trade and uh, commerce and passengers and cargo and a mail mm-hmm. service and a link to the rest of the world, which made such a huge um, impact on yep. that particular port and the people's lives in that area. The the people uh, of the of the port, the, the the city, and many in many cases, um, the public would get so excited about this arrival and so sort of gracious about the ship coming in that they would present it with with ornate gifts and one of the ones that comes to mind is the britannia when mm-hmm. she arrived in boston for the first time for example the the city had actually um commissioned the creation of a um 2.5 foot tall solid silver cup which is the boston cup which um anyone who's mm-hmm. traveled on world queen mary 2 will now see in the grand lobby proudly on display now there's a really interesting story behind the cup, which I can go into if we have if we have time. But um, the point of the of the reference is that it was very much over the top. It was very extravagant. It was very extreme. And if, of course, as more and more ships came in, you couldn't possibly do that be, for everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You couldn't possibly be doing that. Uh, and so the the exchanging of of, of smaller uh, commemorative items became the norm. Uh, and uh, this has sort of been settled on with these sort of wall-mounted plaques. But as Gary mentions, some of them are really extravagant and very beautiful, and other ones are fairly plain. And <laughs> this comes down to the to the design that the port chooses. So, you know, some areas, particularly in the South Pacific, where they've got, um, you know, beautiful cultural art and that sort of thing, that's displayed very prominently on the on the cup. Uh, rather on the plaque, mm-hmm. uh, and in other ports um, that I've seen on on the walls of ships, it's it's simply a, a wooden square with a with a sort of a metallic embossed um, note on it that that yep. refers to the ship's arrival. So it really does come down to the to the significance of the arrival, I think, as well as the um, port's willingness to to be, you know, to how much they're willing <laughs> to sort of spend on these sorts of things. Yeah, and I can remember as a kid going on to a, a British naval vessel, um, they also had similar um, plaques from different ports they'd been to around the world. So it's it's not just um, passenger ships. Obviously, naval vessels do something similar as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think, you know, like obviously, uh, historically, naval vessels from rival countries wouldn't necessarily have been welcomed with open arms into um, <laughs> in, into each other's ports but as as alliances have come together and that sort of thing um the the port is is able to sort of make a make a commemorative statement about the arrival of of, of a new ship into its area brilliant uh, did, you thanks for hear that. The, did you want to hear the very quick story about the boston cup I think we covered it in a very, very early podcast, but Did by we? all means, if you've got a, if you've got an elevator pitch, go for it. 
<laughs> in essence, um, it was developed by a master craftsman in Boston um, for present presentation to Samuel Cunard aboard Britannia when the ship arrived in Boston. Reason being, of course, they chose a selected Boston as the American US port mm-hmm. for the new service in 1840. Um, there'd been a big uh, sort of uh, commemoration with a with a with an earlier ship that Cunard had acquired and sent across the Atlantic called uh, the Unicorn, and so there was a lot of excitement about the arrival of the ship because it was of of the Britannia because it was bringing with it that regular mail service, that connection mm-hmm. to the UK or the commerce and that sort of thing. So the the cup was commissioned and it was being created, but it wasn't complete in time for Samuel Cunard's arrival on board Britannia. Um, and so there's no record of it actually being presented to, to Cunard um, at, that, at that maiden arrival. Then its history gets a little bit sketchy. It, it, it sort of disappears from, from, uh, from, from the Cunard history for a while. Uh, in fact, for quite a while, because in the 1960s, when QE2 was being constructed, but of course, Cunard was in great financial trouble with uh, the age of the jet at the time, mm-hmm. the then chairman of Cunard Line, was in the United States uh, on a holiday, and he went into an antique shop with his wife in, um, in Maryland in the US. And lo and behold, a very dusty, very dirty, uh, in the corner, mm-hmm. 2.5 foot tall, solid silver cup <laughs> with the um, inscriptions that matched, uh, matched the, the design um, documents from the, from the Boston Cup when it was being created, um, was, was spotted by the chairman. So he, he acquired it. And brought it back across the Atlantic on one of the um, remaining Cunard ships that was sailing, and it was uh, restored, verified, of course, restored and um, placed on board QE2, and it's remained with the Cunard uh, flagship ever since. So it went from QE2 across to Queen Mary 2. <laughs> so amazing, like mm. the coincidence of um, you know a, um, a Cunard chairman walking into a, an antique dealer in, yep. in America and finding this cup that had been you know designed in the 1840s and we're now talking 1960s what what kind of life it it led yeah there's a little there's a little joke um as well because the original design sketches for it um uh, show it has a has a has a lid and mm-hmm. the lid is still missing so if anyone finds oh. a, a lid in the antique shop they need to send it back to cunard <laughs> great story awesome um thanks gary thanks for that what a great question and also thanks for those photos of grand princess arriving you can find copies of those in the show notes of this episode yeah, thank Just... you so much gary that's great and he also said a, a lovely congratulations to to me for the success of the youtube channel so thanks so much gary yeah and i know it's uh, well deserved so we spoke about that last week of course and uh keep seeing it pop up on lots of different uh social medias with people congratulating you so well well done once again mate with that um we'll take a very very short break and then we're going to jump straight into the latest cruise news head over to facebook now and hit the like button so chris as uh, you're aware we've uh, flipped the show this week you're uh, towards the end of the show normally you're one of the first guests of course uh, but um we did have paolo uh, a little earlier giving us a great cruise review of qm2 and uh, we've got a whole heap of cruise news to get through but we have flipped it we normally talk about our local news first but we thought we'd No, let's go international and we'll come back to Australia towards the end. And we'll start off with the great news from Celebrity, who are raising the bar for cruising from the UK. Yeah, I mean, it was was already um, pretty high there with the recently refurbished um, Celebrity silhouette. Mm, But uh, now Celebrity Apex is going to be taking the reins in the UK. um, And it's a whole heap of new voyages that um, that they're going to be offering on board Apex. And, of course, on board the ship, there's a whole heap of more um, experiences that the... uh, that, that particular class of ship um, that Celebrity Apex can offer the passengers. 
So this, of course, includes the uh, exclusive retreat area on board the ship with uh, 24-7 uh, butlers on hand, which is of course sounds very very lovely. <laughs> um, there's a there's a whole new sort of style of accommodation that they're offering with the, the two story villa style um, accommodation with plunge pools and um, balconies that have sort of uninterrupted views. They don't have like all that metal and stuff Structure. in the way. Yep. Um, and then they've got the magic carpet, of course, on board, which is the the um, bright orange and, structure. <laughs> yeah, the big orange thing that sort of goes up the side of the ship and allows you to have a um, a fairly unique experience by the looks of things. Um, and they've even got 7,000 square feet uh, worth of retail offering on board the ship. So pretty big shopping promenade on board. Mm, yeah, some great brands that are included in that. And of course, we have spoken before about the first F45 classes at sea, which are very popular, as well as the uh, the Peloton bikes and a big focus on women's wellness there. So uh, they've got a whole season out of the UK. It's 2024 that we're looking at with voyages in length of four to 13 nights going to both Northern Europe and, of course, down to the Med. And just for all of our um, uh, metric-speaking people, that uh, shopping <laughs> area is about 650 square metres. <laughs> I should have put that in the uh, conversion, actually. I should have done that. Anyway. <laughs> well, done. well, I mean, uh, we do have listeners from all around the world, so it's probably... We do, we do. And uh, speaking of worlds, the next news is news about a world voyage on board Azamara, which is taking place in 2025. Yes, absolutely. 2025, a world voyage departing uh, from San Diego on board Azamara onward, which of course is uh, their new uh, addition to their fleet. Um, it's 15 overnight voyages, uh, overnight stays rather, that they'll have on this on this voyage. Um, and they're also including 31 late stays. And this really does tap into something that we've been speaking about on and off for the last couple of years, Baz, <laughs> this sort of drive now to have more long duration visits to ports, which is something that was so popular back when World Cruising first started mm -hmm. um, and, and had been missing for a while. So it's really great to see it coming back. Um, some of the places that they're looking at is uh, destinations or visits to, to Bali, um, to Bangkok and to, to ports in Indonesia, um, which is fantastic. And they're also offering a whole heap of um, uh, special offers in terms of uh, onboard credit and that sort of thing for, for passengers who book uh, on, this new, on this new voyage, Baz. Yeah, and uh, not forgetting, of course, 13 complimentary land events as well. So Azamara does the uh, As Amazing Evenings on uh, normal voyages. They've got uh, this extended offering there where you've got 13 uh, land events across that whole world cruise as well. So uh, they're expecting this to sell out on record time. Uh, previous guests do have a bit of a, a head start on this. It's going to open up um, on the 9th of November and then on the 10th of November to the, to the rest of the general public. Great. Lots of excitement uh, around the world, around the FIFA World Cup on the horizon. And uh, Costa have announced that uh, they will be broadcasting every game live on every ship. Yeah, it sounds like it. Hey, so the, the FIFA World Cup is um, obviously being held in Qatar uh, from the 20th of November to the 18th of uh, December. And uh, the ships actually have... Um, uh, they have access to Sport 24, which is uh, their live sports channel on board. Mm -hmm. So they'll be um, broadcasting that on their fleet. And in the show notes, you can find actually a pretty extensive list of um, which ships will be sailing where and, and broadcasting on, on what times and that sort of thing. Um, but there'll be a number of the Costa ships that will be sort of um, in, in the in the European, uh, Western Mediterranean, and also um, uh, in the Dubai sort of area that will obviously have a very strong focus for that because of the, the interest that people in that part of the world have for, for that particular sport, for soccer. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next bit of news, actually, when I first read the headline, I had to do a double take. Uh, Penons have announced that they've uh, turned for a little bit of assistance from Airbus. Yeah, so here we go. We've got um, a, a cruise line linking in with an aircraft manufacturer. But of mm. course, Airbus has grown so much since that first um, A300 that was developed back in the 19, uh, 1970s, all the way through to um, now being involved in, in satellite um, imagery and technology as well. So mm. they've, um, they've utilizing Airbus's um, high-resolution satellite uh, service to prepare and um, you know put the finishing touches on their um, route planning for their journeys to the Arctic. Mm. So you know Airbus um, really does have quite a wide reach these days. Yeah, I had no idea, but obviously it makes sense, uh, and obviously uh, great for for Penant to be able to reduce their fuel consumption and you know navigate the the, the ice flow, etc. So uh, mm. yeah, great little insight. Um, another great uh, announcement, of course, has been the, the celebration of Carnival's fiftieth birthday, which has been an ongoing event for probably about <laughs> the last twelve months or so. But we're kind of getting towards the end of this milestone because uh, the the big flagship event is all around their new flagship, of course, which is uh, Carnival taking uh, the keys and the delivery of Carnival celebration. Yeah, so Celebration is a um, XL class ship, which is the same design, um, essentially on the you know on the floor plan as the Mardi Gras. But of course, mm-hmm. each one of them will have their own unique carnival interior. Um, so they've um, she's been built at the um, Maya Turku um, shipyard in in Finland. So yep. that's actually a yard that Carnival has used um, for other fleet classes as well. So they've got a long mm-hmm. long history there as well. Um, and uh, she's you know got a whole heap of um well firstly the, the ship's name links back to the earlier carnival fleet a bit like mardi yep. gras so celebration yep. was a very much loved early new build carnival cruise ship that was around from the 80s and, and through to the 19 um, 1990s and early um those early years of the carnival sort of expansion that great expansion that they had um but on board the ship they've got a whole heap of um carnivalized sort of experiences um when you step on board the ship you get your you know your three deck high atrium um experience which is what carnival sort of very famous for those those over the top atrium sort of designs it makes mm-hmm. you feel like you've stepped into this wonderful unique world all the way through to things like their um their bolt roller coaster which is those roller coasters at sea that we've spoken about before baz <laughs> absolutely so they've taken the keys she's uh heading over to the us as we speak and is going to be doing her first uh voyage uh, out of miami or expected to arrive into miami on november the 20th uh, and of course uh, the ship we've spoken before takes about five thousand guests and she's going to be home ported in port miami and do uh, seven day itineraries both around the east and western caribbean sounds so exciting Staying with Carnival, but bringing it a little bit closer to home, we've spoken about Carnival Luminosa arriving uh, down under. Um, she has done so, and I believe she's about to do her first cruise out of Brisbane. Yeah, so she arrived in with her windows lit up with uh, writing the words, We Love Queensland, um, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, kind of reminiscent of the ships when they were leaving. They were leaving, ports. yeah, yeah. They had We Will Be Back um, written in the, using the lights from the windows of the of the different cabins on board. Um She's a bit different from the other ships, Baz, that you would have seen from the pictures that yeah. um, she is not wearing the traditional carnival funnel. Of course, she whale is... Whale tail, yep. Um, with a whale tail style. No, she is um, an ex-Costa ship, and uh, for whatever reason, they've decided to keep the, the Costa funnel there. They've painted it in carnival colours, but she does stand out. It makes her look quite different from the rest of the fleet. But she is wearing the lovely new... Um, carnival livery with the big blue bow there as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she's operating under Brisbane. Um, 
this, the season runs from November this year through to April of next year. Um, and um, they actually have said that Carnival Australia is going to um, provide a $165 million contribution to the Queensland economy as part of this um, this ship's, you know, uh, yeah. uh, voyages coming out of the Queensland port. So a really big... Um, you know, injection, and we've uh, we speak about we've this, quite a lot, about this we, yeah. kind of thing before, but it really does make a huge difference to local businesses who have been um, so struggling with, um, particularly in the tourism or travel or you know port side retail that sort of thing. To have mm-hmm. the, the cruise ships coming back is is great for for business. Absolutely. Carnival Luminos will be out of Brisbane from uh, this November through to April 2023. Then she'll head up to Seattle for doing the uh, good old Alaska season and will return back to Queensland later next year as well. Uh, An average of about 2,200 guests, 920 crew, 12 decks, 92,000 ton, and a beam of about uh, 106 feet or 32 meters. Fantastic. Um, Adelaide is the latest port down here to be welcoming uh, a ship. Uh, of course, I think we've seen nearly every single port around Australia um, welcome back a ship of some sort. It's Adelaide's turn, and uh, which cruise line were we looking at? It's Pino Australia, which is very you know appropriate. <laughs> homegrown cruise line, um, Pacific Explorer, and they were carrying this beautiful big "We Love SA South Australia" banner on the on the front of the ship. I, I love how Pino Australia has been doing these giant. Yeah. Um, welcome banners on the fronts of their ships and using the big screens on their top deck to sort of send messages to the ports. It makes it feel very sort of personalized and, um, you know, a bit, a bit more uh, exciting to see the ship sort of linking in with your local destination, which is really nice. Mm. Um, you know, P&O Australia has, was the first cruise line back, uh, big cruise line back. Of course, there was a couple of small, small Australian-based cruise lines that were um, operating limited cruises during the during the shutdown, mm-hmm. but they were the first internationally flagships back. You know, I, of course, sailed on board um, Pacific Explorer, so it's great to see her um, there in in Adelaide, and um, she'll be there for the 2022-23 cruise season. Yeah, and once again, she's going to be making 72 calls to South Australian ports, mm-hmm. and will generate about 65 million dollars to the South Australian economy. Yeah, the eighth cruise though, Baz, um, moves across to to Fremantle after having calls in Albany and Bustleton. So, uh, Western Australia will get a little bit of love as well. Excellent, love it, love it. Um, now, talking about cash injections, Melbourne Cup is of course the uh, the horse race that stops the nation, and uh, Carnival Corporation is uh, a big part of this particular event because they generally have sailings that go to the Melbourne Cup, and this year was a record: three ships and seven thousand six hundred guests. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, Carnival Splendor, of course, was one of the ones that was there. And then she was joined by Pacific Adventure and Pacific Encounter. So three big ships too, Baz. Of course, this year was a little bit different. All ships were able to berth at Station Pier in Melbourne, whereas previously when uh, the Spirit of Tasmania was located there, that uh, was a bit congested. So some ships had to go elsewhere um, in the bay. Um, but, of course, Spirit of Tasmania has moved. It's gone down to Geelong now. So that that frees up the, the port and the terminal there for, for up to three cruise ships at a time, which is great news. Yeah, the imagery of the three of them, these three, um, you know, over 100,000 tonne ships together was was pretty impressive. It was, it was. And of course, we always like to finish off the show with a little bit of River Cruise news wherever we can, and this week is no different. In fact, we're celebrating European waterways who have got some great solo traveller deals. Yeah, so they're, they're definitely saying, um, make it, making an impact here to try and encourage people to, you know, who, who want to travel by themselves to, to feel comfortable and come on board their ships. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, European waterways vessels, they hold 
um, a maximum of just 20 passengers. So if you are traveling by yourself, and there likely could be other people traveling by themselves, and of course, because it's a small complement, you don't feel sort of like you're one person and amongst thousands um, without mm. anybody that you know, you can quite quickly make, um, make friends on board the ship. Um, and so they've got this singular um, segment uh, of their uh, clientele, as they refer to them, that they're trying to sort of um, uh, welcome on board their ships as part of these new, these new voyages. Yeah, so we've got certain departure dates in in April um, and also um, a little later in the year as well. But these uh, are valid for bookings up until November this year. But do encourage your travel agent to to look at European waterways if you are a solo traveller because they quite often have these uh, great reduced solo supplements, which uh, really, really does make a big difference when uh, choosing to travel as a solo traveller. It's great. And Chris, that's all we've got in Cruise News uh, this week. Um, of course, most exciting part of your news is that you're heading off out to sea and going to do your lectures, of course, which we can't wait to hear a little bit more about. And we, of course, look forward to seeing your videos as well. Thank you, Baz. Yeah, I'll um, be very, very happy to share um, that experience. I mean, as I say, th- 31 months since I've done a talk on a on a cruise ship. So um, mm. it's going to be really exciting. I hope, uh, I hope we have a have a good crowd oh, i'm sure you will be standing room only i'm sure <laughs> great chris enjoy your cruise and we will uh, speak to you uh, same time next week see you then that's all for today if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe and leave us a review on apple podcasts google podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts until next time bon voyage What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.